It's a British cathedral choir that starts our music this morning with praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation.
Larry Gentis lives in Kirk Michael and goes to Pitlochry Baptist Church. Larry imagines what it would be like being Simeon, meeting Mary when she takes Jesus to the temple for the purification ceremony. Hi, nice to meet you. My name is Simon. Oh, you're here to see the temple and you've come a long way to be here? Well, what do you think? Yes, I come here often. In fact, as often as I can. The temple is really the only place I feel peace, even though I haven't had what you'd call a bad life. I love the smells and the candlelit spaces that just help me to feel the reverence and awe for my God. I like to imagine Moses at the burning bush or the majesty of the parting of the Red Sea and all the other deliverance stories of our people. You see, I still believe that despite the Romans taking over our nation and putting pressure on us to give up worshipping our God, he's going to deliver us again. As my story unfolds, it will become clearer why not only do I believe we'll be delivered, I know we will be set free from them. As you can see, I'm, I'm quite an old man now, but when I was much younger, I had a singular experience. Whilst I was praying, the wonder of God filled my being, and I found myself worshipping from my heart with an intensity I'd not known before. I had a sense that he was right there with me. At that moment, I just knew how much he loved me and cared for me personally. Before this time, I'd honored God with obedience and always did my devotions, but now everything was different. This time he became real. It was revealed to me that I would see the Christ. Oh, that's the name for the one God would send as a savior before my life was over. So there I was, as often as possible in God's temple, because, well, I reasoned that if I was going to see this, what better place to await for him than in the temple where he told Solomon he'd be? Anyway, it makes sense to me. I always enjoyed being around that place in the temple where parents bring their newborn babies in to be consecrated to the Lord. It happened after the circumcision of the baby and the rites of purification. The parents offer sacrifices to the Lord and dedicate to him. One day, I had a vision. At least, I thought it was a vision, but actually it was real. I'd been going about my daily business when suddenly I found myself in the temple. I was never sure how I got there, but suddenly I saw and I knew there he was. The infant of whom God spoke to me all those years ago when I was a young man. For me, it made me think of how Samuel must have seen David after seeing the other seven sons of Jesse in Bethlehem and making the choice for who was going to be the king. Strange, now I think about it, this little boy was born in Bethlehem. A coincidence? <laughs> God doesn't do coincidences. The parents were obviously from humble origins. Their clothes were simple, but well cared for and clean, with nothing to indicate royalty or what you would think a Messiah would come from. And yet, I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that this was he. So, I walked over to the couple and asked if I might hold the boy and bless him, and they let me take him for a moment. This was my prayer. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. After this prayer, God gave me this prophecy which I gave to his mother. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. 
The moment I finished this prophetic word, an elderly woman who I'd often seen in the temple as well came alongside us. Oh, oh, here she is. I'll, I'll let her tell her story in person. Well, hello there. As Simon was saying, it is true. When I was young, I had a good life and I had been married to a good man. We had seven years together. I won't say they were perfect, but I can say I was deeply loved by my husband and was grateful that God had given to him to me. Without warning, a sickness spread throughout the land and many died, and amongst them was my husband. I cannot describe to you what that did to me. You would only ever understand it if something like that had happened to you. My friends kept telling me that I was really attractive and not to pass up an opportunity to marry again if it came. But I'm not made that way. I love once and once completely and utterly. And I could not imagine being married to any other, no matter how hard I tried. So, like Simon, I spend most of my waking times in the, in the temple because this is where I feel God's presence. And I love him even more than I love my husband. In fact, I think that's why we had such a good marriage, because he loved God that way too. On this particular day, a child was being consecrated according to the word of God. Suddenly, I felt as if I'd burst if I didn't praise God for this child before me. You see, I had something in common with some of the people who came into the temple often. Many of us were looking for God's Messiah. Then, there he was, a baby boy. I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that this was he. Although in appearance he wasn't very different from hundreds of other baby boys we'd seen dedicated. But I, like Simon and many others, knew that this was the Christ, God's Messiah, sent to save us. It's been a while since that day in the temple. And I'm sure the child has grown, but I'd recognize him even so. I wonder how many people would recognize him. Would you? This comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 25 to 39. Larry and Judy Dantis as Simeon and Anna. Here's a song written and sung by Michael Card. He imagines himself as Simeon, now that I have held him.
Adrian Plass has written a book called The Unlocking, published by the Bible Reading Fellowship. Today, Adrian talks about going God's way. I did it his way. Then Jesus said to them, You will all become deserters because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Though all become deserters because of you, I will never desert you. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. We get a bit patronising about old Peter, don't we? He's often portrayed as a personality we can identify with, a, a sort of thick but amiable teddy bear type, full of weaknesses that are just like ours. In fact, he was a jolly sight more courageous than most of us would have been. When he said he was willing to die with his master, he meant exactly that. And when the arresting force came for Jesus in the garden, he proved it by drawing his sword and going for the nearest human target. There's a sign on the walls outside many South African houses that says, Immediate Armed Response. During my first visit to the city of Johannesburg, I asked what this aggressive message meant, and I was told that because of the increasing frequency of burglaries and violence, there was a growing number of firms who specialised in domestic protection. Armed trucks patrolled constantly, ready to respond at a moment's notice to alarm calls from clients. Peter was genuinely ready to produce an immediate armed response of his own, because he was certainly not a coward in the worldly sense, but, and here is something most of us can identify with, he wanted to choose the context within which he would serve. After Jesus had not only ruled out the option of force, but actually healed the first and only enemy casualty, Peter was unwilling or unable to move from his personal agenda of physical resistance into the bewildering context of voluntary captivity. It would be as if those South African householders on encountering burglars were to flatly refuse help from the security firm and insist on presenting the intruders with everything they wanted. Why on earth? Peter must have puzzled wildly at that moment. If Jesus really had easy access to twelve legions of angels, didn't he whistle them up? Peter wasn't into divine foolishness at that stage. One of the most frightening things about following Jesus is his requirement that we abandon responsibility for deciding how we will help him. Some very strong people are going to feel extremely weak. Tough, isn't it? Pray with me. Father, it's so easy to promise all sorts of things to you and other people on the assumption that we'll be allowed to carry out those promises using the strengths and techniques and approaches that are specially ours. But it's never as simple as that, is it? You choose the weapons and the ways, while we stagger reluctantly towards unconditional obedience. Help us, Lord. Amen. Adrian Plass, and that came from his book The Unlocking. Continuing the theme of promises, a children's choir now. It's the choir of St. Richard's with St. Andrew's Junior School and, O oh Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Mm-hmm. 
Clifton with his song What Jesus Would Have Done. Could I bring your words of comfort Offer peace where there is war Could I bless the ones who curse me? Can I forgive the ones who hurt me most? Would I weep if you were weeping? Walk with those the world disowns? Can I break the bread of heaven with every lost lost and hungry soul Lord I will Jesus would 
Ramsey Beatty talked to David Barry, minister of Pitlochry Baptist Church. David explained how the Pitlochry community is pulling together to help each other during the pandemic. If you need help or you want to contribute, phone 475-333. Ramsey Beatty here on Heartland FM and today I'm joined by David Barry, the pastor of the Pitlochry Baptist Church. It's good to have you here, David. Thank you very much and thanks for asking me, Ramsey. And uh, David, it's been a time of a lot of support, especially with the challenges we've been facing with the coronavirus. And the church has been having a role with the Pitlochry Support Group. Could you maybe tell me what the church has been doing with the whole group? The Pitlochry Baptist Church is one of a number of organisations and just generally interested, concerned people in our community who value community, who've got together, pulled resources, pulled ideas. And since last May, it seems a lifetime ago but that's what 2020 felt like but since last May when lockdown was happening these group of people got together and were asking each other and being proactive in trying to figure out how can we help our community how can we help those who are vulnerable isolating and mobilize people in our community who want to help so that's my role one member amongst many others who just pull resources, ideas and time and energy to make some things happen for our community. Um, what are these sorts of things that have been going around in Pitlochry? Well, it's evolved over that time. Since the beginning, we've had a dedicated phone number, which Heartland FM helped us to set up and maintained it for us, which is Heartland's contribution, not only, but one of the ways Heartland contributes to that support group. But people would phone the phone number and we would have dedicated coordinators who would give four, eight hours a day, whatever it may be, to sit and answer those calls. And in the early days, it was deliveries, picking up a shopping, picking up a prescription, and little jobs around about the garden, which at that point was deemed an important thing. That's evolved and changed. The dedicated phone number still there. People still have their prescriptions picked up, and we would still go and help pick up shopping from the co-op and other places about Pilocchi. I even remember one call where we had to go to the vets I think it was and pick up ferret food. (laughs) (laughs) So um, early doors that felt was a really important thing that we needed to do but then there was other things that happened Uh, a a book sharing scheme, a jigsaw sharing scheme, lots of things the chippy run which again ran for a number of months and that was less providing food for families who really needed it it was more about a treat it was more interaction so again dedicated people would phone up most vulnerable mostly seniors in our community and just ask them if they would want a chippy from the place to be which we had a a good arrangement with them and more often than not they'd be on the phone for 15 20 30 minutes because it was that human interaction maybe that coordinator phoning someone to see if they wanted a chippy was the only person they'd spoken to in that day so there's lots of different things like that have been going on some of them been in the limelight others out of the limelight and it's about helping those who are most vulnerable in our community and working with the food share working with the food bank which our church is involved in as well because it's in the Athos Centre behind our building and just seeing that develop I found out just yesterday as I was down at our building that there's about 50 
people now who every single week in our small community receive a, 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 some essentials from the food bank. And again, that's done in a a way that's dignified and it's important for, for those people to give them the best that we can. All of that has come out of this port group, the ideas, seeing the need, responding to the best of our ability and uh, it continues. So there's new ideas coming up as our environment changes and the, our experience changes and the needs are developing as well. The community group there is is working to just sort of respond to the best of their ability. Oh, it sounds like you must have had a really good response to all of this. Yeah, within the community, the feedback is great. Again, working with the school and working with various businesses who take things down to the food share and leave that there. People can take whatever they want or sometimes they'll leave a donation. And even the food bank, many of our businesses in Pitlochry, many individuals in Pitlochry see the value in, in buying things, leaving it there and leave it up to the staff in the centre to just work with other agencies and getting that food to where it is really needed. So I've only heard good things. Yes, we could always do things better. No one's perfect. But I've only heard good things about this group and, and what they're trying to do. And these are just a few of the things that I've mentioned. There are many, many more. And it's not just the church who are getting involved. Like you said, there's so many different people pulling from all across the community. So say someone wanted to get involved in this, um, where would you say would be a good place to start? We have a dedicated phone number, which if someone would like some shopping picked up, if they would like prescription picked up or other information needs, then they would phone 01796 475333, 475 And even if they would like to help, as we are now finding we are having to build up our volunteers again, our phone line is getting more busy as we're in this new lockdown and needs are intensifying. So if you're someone who's got time, you're quite happy to go to the co-op and pick up food and deliver it to someone. You can give half a day, a couple of hours, a week, whatever it may be. Phone that number, 475 and volunteer. There's a process you have to go through uh, because we've got important checks that we need to do. But if you would like to be involved... We're a community pulling together. We've still got lives that are going on, family lives, business lives, work lives. But yet we contribute as much as we can. Well, that's fantastic, David. So thank you for all the fantastic work you've been doing and thank you for taking the time to speak to me today. Absolute pleasure, my friend. A community pulling together, as Dave Barry said there. And if you'd like to help in any way, that number again is 01796 475 333. And if you're needing help, it's the same number, 01796 475 333. Welcome to Heartland FM and welcome to this programme. It's Heart and Soul with David Wilkie and me, Howard Simpson, working from home with Sam Ross pulling it all together for us. Back to music, though, and this is Red Hurley with a reminder, we can be kind. things we can't control so many hurts that happen every day 
So many heartaches that pierce our souls So much pain that won't ever go away How do we make it better? How do we make it through? What can we do when there's nothing we can do? We can be kind We can take care of each other We can remember that deep down inside We all need the same thing And maybe we'll find If we are there for each other That together we'll weather whatever tomorrow may bring And it's not enough to talk about it Not enough to sing a song We must walk the walk about it Do our part, give our hearts So someone else can get along We can be kind We can take care of each other religion in Hong Kong is under threat from the Chinese Communist government. This is because of the support which the churches have given towards the democracy movement. Ernie Ray talks to a group of experts about this problem. And today we're discussing the future of freedom of religion in Hong Kong. Among the pro-democracy demonstrators who took to the streets earlier this year were many Christians who feared for their ability to practice their faith. Will the Chinese government stand by their promises? And with me are Kim Kwon Chan, Chris Patton and Steve Chang. Samuel Chu was born in Hong Kong but now lives in Washington DC 
where he's the director of the Hong Kong Democracy Council. His father, a Baptist pastor, was one of the founders of the 2014 Umbrella Movement. My father and Benny Tai and Chen Kingmans, all three of them were devoted Christians, but they were also social and pro-democracy activists. So what they actually set out to do long before Umbrella Movement became Umbrella Movement was to respond to the government refusal to implement political reform for universal suffrage that was promised, actually, to the people of Hong Kong. And so when both the Hong Kong authorities and the Chinese government have denied that request and that reform proposal, they decided that the most powerful response was to organize a mass civil disobedience. But what then happened is that uh, when it was actually launched, I think it just resonated so much with the people in Hong Kong that what was originally planned as a one-day mass civil disobedience actually turned into a 79-day occupation on the street of Hong Kong that involved millions of Hong Kongers. And I think that forever from then on, it changed the whole pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong because it became a million-people movement. Now, you took part in some of those demonstrations that, that were symbolized by the fact that people carried umbrellas. What did it feel like to be part of that movement? I think that that's really, in a way, where the baptism of Hong Kong, particularly the newer generation, took place. I often describe my first two weeks at Umbrella on the street as as being this sort of corporate collective baptism by tear gas, by extreme heat and, and humility, and this idea of being baptized by really being on the front line for the first time experiencing your own government that is supposed to represent and protect your well-being not doing that particular work. And I was there when the police first took out their banners and said that if you don't disperse, we're going to you know, uh, fire tear gas and we're going to uh, begin to, to disperse you. And people just started with this instinctive response of passing out masks, putting out umbrella. And really, umbrella was started out both as a tactical move of, well, we don't have anything else. We are without arm and we are peaceful. But how do we protect ourselves in the midst of, in the face of such brutal tactics? And umbrella really became both the tactical and the symbolic. And eventually, actually within a day, it became known as the umbrella movement. I find it very interesting that you use the word baptized in context of what your experience was in those early days of the Umbrella Movement. And you are a Christian. And I wonder how that Christian faith informs your support for the pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong. So I think from the very early on years, I have learned from my father and I think the kind of traditions and and, uh, Christianity that he believes in practice was that you don't ever just stop at the door of the church. You're always asking what are the issues, what are the challenges, what are the struggles that people experience every day, and that the church community was always a public institution that addresses and is a base for operation, for action, to address not just the spiritual side, but the social, economic, political side. So I think that that has always been important. And I think that the other thing that has always been important for me is that I think what religion does is to give the kind of inner transformation that reinforces what people are fighting for and what they're doing and what 
why they care about each other, so that it actually strengthened the movement in the broader sense and go deeper into people's, I think, hearts and minds. What do you say to those Christians in Hong Kong who think that it's wrong for Christians to take part in demonstrations against the Chinese government and its actions? I think that they have to really take a moment to examine internally what is really at the core of their beliefs. I think you're seeing more now. Uh, leaders were speaking out. There were much more active, visible participation from religious congregations in the protests since last June. But I think that institutionally, they still live under this uh, shadow of, you know, we don't want to rock the boat and we don't want to challenge the authority publicly. And I think that that is completely missing what I think is at the core of Christianity, of the Christian traditions, of being able to look at, you know, read the words in the Gospels and seeing that I have come to free those who are in prison and that I have come to liberate. And I think that that has to become a real question and examination for churches in Hong Kong. That was Samuel Chu. Ernie Ray, hearing from Samuel, Samuel Chu about his and the church's involvement in the civil disobedience in Hong Kong. And now here's Sidney Carter's song, When I Needed a Neighbour, Were You There? Mm-hmm. 